Hi, I'm Dave Scott. I'm pastor of Crossway Community Church, and I want to welcome you. Crossway is a church simply committed to making disciples. We meet at 1501 Woodbury Road. It's off of Colonial and Fort Wayne in East Orlando. Come check us out. I look forward to meeting you. So now it's kind of like the State of the Union address. Before I get up here and speak, I give Mrs. Hand a copy of my sermon so she can follow me. So, <laughs> so if you want to know what I really meant to say, you can talk to her. <laughs> She's got the real copy. Uh, hey, listen, we're in a series in John. Uh, you know, the Apostle John is telling the story of how Jesus totally, radically changed his life and gave him, set him on a whole new trajectory. And uh, as we look at 2024, we're trying to, all of us, I think, discern, okay, what's God, what's your trajectory for me in this year? And, uh, um, and so we're going to go to God's word here in John chapter 13, but let me pray as we dismiss growing kids, I mean, not growing kids God's way, I mean, uh, Crossway Kids. Uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you so much for uh, uh, your word, your truth. Lord, that we can uh, line ourselves up beside, and Lord, that you can make us plumb and uh, align us with your character. Pray for Crossway Kids, uh, Lord, that you would, uh, Holy Spirit, anoint that time as well, even as, Lord, we pray that you'd be active uh, here uh, with your word, like a a two-edged sword, Lord, uh, piercing us. God, so that we could more fully know you and be like you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the last week we were in John 12, and we're looking at um, John, especially with this question of uh, what is our motivation in ministry uh, as a church? What's our motivation in what God's called us to do here? Last week we talked about the glory of God, how the glory of God should motivate us, how it motivated Christ and how making God famous, right, spreading his fame, uh, is the one of the ways that we glorify him. And one of the things that should motivate us, we shouldn't, uh, you know, be doing uh, what God's called us to do here, uh, performance, to check off a bunch of boxes, to somehow to score more brownie points. Um, that's not the point. It doesn't prove any of what, what we do doesn't prove anything, because it's all about what Christ already has done. But we have a great news to proclaim, and, uh, and Jesus has told us to take the initiative to actively do that. So why should we do that? God's glory is one part. His glory is his excellencies. They are his perfections, the things about God that are that than which no greater can be thought. There's no other thing that's greater than God is in these different ways, right? And those are his attributes, um, And one of the things that's the most glorious about God, the most excellent, the most perfect, like there's no other in all the world, is his love. And this is the most radical thing that Jesus came to reveal about his Father. He revealed it in a way that had never been uh, to this degree revealed in the Old Testament. That his Father has a heart of love. Rex talked about how they gave him a picture of your heart and your pacemaker, right? That's really what Jesus is doing here in the Gospels. And John was changed by that. He's going to call himself the the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, He was touched by Jesus' love. And so uh, 
What we have here is, a, is, is really a snapshot of our hearts, God's heart, and what our, how our heart should mimic his. So let's turn to John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. And once again, remember that we're at this hinge in the book of John. We just went through the public ministry of Jesus. He's now turning towards the cross in this final week, this week of Passover. And so John, you know, once again, telegraphs that. He signposts that in terms of the, the keeping the calendar. What, what time is it in the, in, the, in the unfolding plan of God, the history of redemption? Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his time had come, that his hour had come to depart out of this world, and having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Hang on a sec, let me get my technology cooperating with me. And then y'all can follow along a little more actively. Actively loving others begins with actively receiving Jesus' love. Acting, actively loving others begins with actively receiving Jesus' love. If we haven't experienced the love of God, if we don't know this radical truth, if it, if it hasn't radiated our hearts and, and, and metamorphosized us, right, um, uh, then... We don't have anything to pass on. You cannot uh, impart what you do not possess. Actively loving others begins with actively receiving Jesus' loves. Because he said here that he loved his own even to the very end. He's, Jesus has said, I've poured out my love. I've, I've totally spent myself. I've, I've totally explained this. He literally exegeted the heart of God to, to talk specifically. And then he goes on and says, um, uh, during the supper... When the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's brother, to betray him, that's Jesus. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come with God, he was going back to God. So John sets the context. His, his, his big thing is coming, but he tells you why did he do this, what he's about ready to do, right? That Jesus could give even in the face of betrayal because he knew where he had come from and where he was going. That's why we start out with positional truth of who God is and who we are in him. It starts there. So we did last week. It starts with focusing on the glory of God. But it doesn't end there. Because we can't know who God is and not be transformed. Not live differently. And so um, uh, Jesus, even in the face of betrayal, right? He, he knew who, who he was and where he was going. Um, but... Uh, it says, but, he, but then that caused him to do something differently. It says, he arose, verse 4, from supper, and he laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. See, love always requires setting aside our prerogatives. Love motivates me to set apart my desires, my rights, right, for a greater good, for your benefit, for your good, for your to be unconditionally committed to you. And this is reflected in what Jesus did, and Paul talks about this in the epistle to Philippians chapter 2. Let us each not only look out for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
So think about that when we think about how we should do church, what, how God says that we should position ourselves. Paul says, don't just do church, do community together, looking out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, when he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God as a thing to be grasped. He could have come in all of his glory, right? He could have come in his Shekinah glory, and he didn't. He set it aside, and he put on flesh. We just talked about this in Advent, the incarnation, the mystery and the miracle of God becoming man. Literally, if anybody knows Spanish, what does incarnation mean? Carne, what does that word mean? Meat, flesh, the enfleshment of God, God becoming flesh. And the turn here is Jesus is going to challenge us to do the same thing. Even as he incarnated the love of God, he calls us to incarnate the love of God for one another. Um, uh, so he says that we should have the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus. It says uh, that you know, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, even a, ma- a servant uh, dying on the cross. Well, how does he do that? Well, here he begins this kneeling that will ultimately lead him to the cross, right, uh, in the upper room. And it says that uh, he, he rose from supper and he laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. And then he poured water in the basin. And they began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Notice here that Jesus broke social norms. He constantly breaks social norms to provocatively make a message that will emotionally hit home. Sometimes I do crazy things in preaching, and I'll just warn you about that. <laughs> I said, David, you're not normal. <laughs> I said, why'd you, know, why'd you marry me? Uh, I'm not normal, you know. So I showed a video a couple weeks ago of a, of a wolf pulling off a lamb. Why did I do that? Because when Jesus said that the, you have an enemy who's, who's prowling around like a lion to devour you, that was, had an emotional impact. But you and I just saying that statement in English, you, you know, oh yeah, but hey, Satan's like, he's like lying, he's trying to get you. No, he's like a wolf who's going to drag you away into the bush. It has emotional impact, right? Makes us feel uncomfortable. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's going to tell his disciples they have to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. That's provocative. Preaching, telling the truth of God, always has a prophetic role that makes people feel uncomfortable. Right, And that's what we need to do with one another. Paul says that's why we gather together. We don't neglect the assembling of ourselves together to love and provoke one another to love and good deeds and encourage one another. Um, And so that's what Jesus, he he does this. Um, Why did he do this? Did he do this just to, you know, uh, impress people or just as a stunt? No, he didn't do it just as a stunt. But Jesus created community by moving into people's personal space. Um, he's creating community here. But he did that by overcoming a social barrier. And, you know, Americans, we're, we're cultural, we're community challenged in our neighborhoods. We just are. Our neighborhoods don't have organic community. People don't naturally connect to one another. If, if I go and seek out my neighbor to have a conversation, I'm having to overcome the cultural barrier that says, oh, you just walk by each other on the, on the, on the walk, sidewalk and don't say anything. Now, here in the South, we do have a little more culture to say, hi, how y'all doing? Y'all, Paul Paul was Southern. He used the second person plural over and over again. It's in the Greek. You don't see it in the English, but it's actually there in the Greek. But 
we, but we have to do that. Jesus is saying you've got to be more than just, you know, socially polite. We've got to connect with people about where they really live. And that's what he's doing here. He's violating, you know, the Jewish norms. Norms that said, I have to be clean. The rabbi would never, never touch an unclean foot. And yet Jesus does to prove a point. He proved to prove a point. And um, so, uh, in verse 6, it goes on and says, He came to Simon Peter. And Peter said, Lord, do you want to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I'm doing, you don't understand now. Do you understand? You really understand what Jesus is trying to tell you by doing this? Peter didn't. I don't think any of us fully understand. We're, in, we're unpacking it. He said, But afterwards, you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, said, I don't, if I don't wash your feet, you, you can't have a share of me. And Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but my heads and my hands, Lord, wash me totally. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed doesn't need to wash except for his feet, but is, he's completely clean. And you're clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who it was that was to betray him. And he said, not all of you are clean. It's interesting here to see how Jesus approached people, fallen people especially. Um, So the context of this, of him doing this radical act of love, is actually the betrayal of Judas. You see that, right? It keeps getting uh, telegraphed again and again and again. John the Apostle keeps bringing us back to knowing that that's that's the subtext of what was going on here. Jesus approached fallen people with grace. He approached them with grace. When he's coming with this bowl, this is a bowl of grace. He knows that there's people here who are going to totally stab him in the back. And yet he still moves towards them. And then it says that um, when he washed his feet, he put on his outer garment and he resumed his place. And he said, do you understand what I have done? Actively loving others begins with understanding with what Jesus has already done for us. If I don't experience the radical grace of Jesus to know what it is to be forgiven, to be a forgiven one, then I can't be a forgiving one, right? We have to experience and receive, actively receive what he's done from us. And so he approached people with grace, and we have to understand this radical, this amazing grace of what God's done. And that's what motivates us, guys. That's one of the things that motivates us to why we should get outside our comfort zone to do the same for those who are around us. Verse 13 says, You call me teacher and Lord, and right you are, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. Was Jesus putting a guilt trip on the disciples here to try to get them to serve more, work harder? You guys are really slacking off. You really need to work harder. No, he wasn't doing that. What he was saying is that follow my example. If you want to be like me, if you want to experience the kind of connection that I have with the Father that flows out of his heart from love, if you want to know that love, you have to let it flow through you to someone else. And that's why he calls us to incarnationally serve one another to incarnationally serve one another. You know, this passage uh, to, to wash each other's feet 
is, is one that we're not really comfortable with. Now, uh, Jeff Beard, who's not here today because he's sick, he grew up in a Brethren background, and the Brethren watch feet actively. It's one of their ordinances that, 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 that they do, and unfortunately, it's, it's been one that has fallen out of, uh, out of usage in most denominations, including even our own traditions, it's even as broad, you know, mainly mainstream evangelicals. Uh, it's just not something that we do on, on a regular basis. Um, you know, because uh, but Jesus gives us this example, right? He set this example before us. He said, "This example of His love, this example that all of us uh, need to be washed in His love and turn around and to model that for one another." Now, you know, guys, if I uh, said this morning I want to wash one of y'all's feet, um, how would you feel if I come up to you? You'd feel a little uncomfortable. I was talking about to a couple of people here. What, what would it be if we washed everybody's feet this morning? I was told, hey, that might not make everybody feel the most comfortable to do that. <laughs> Which I understand, and maybe sometime we could, you know, if we had a special service and prepared for that. But Jesus didn't do this so that we'd never take note of it. He says this is something that we have to model for one another. When I asked Donna to marry me, she didn't know I was coming because I was living in Texas and she was in Mississippi. And I surprised her. I drove 10 hours, showed up at her door in a tuxedo and, and, a, and, a, and a dozen roses. She knew that something was up. <laughs> and we went to a special place. And uh, I'd written a poem for her, which I read. And then I washed her feet. And I asked Donna to come up here because she's the one person that, you know, I have this kind of personal connection with that I, that actually Jesus has commanded me in Ephesians chapter 5, right? Just like Christ washing the bride's feet with the water of the word to present her as, as white without blame or blemish. That's what he's doing for us. He's showing this what we do, but he says we are to do this for one another. And... Uh, the truth is, is I have not done this to Donna since that day, 32 years ago, that we were engaged. I have to re-remind myself. Why? Because sometimes David lives for himself. <laughs> well, I'll confess my own sin. You can confess yours. <laughs> Donna, Jesus has commanded me to love you even as he loved you. I know I fail at that. But I want to follow his example better. I want to serve you better. Through his power, through his spirit. Jesus said, as I've done for you, so do for one another. What's the challenge that we have as Crossway going into 2024? This is it. We need to wash the feet of this community that's around us here in East Orlando. Jesus said that this is the metric by which his church will be evaluated. Not how good is this preaching, not whether it's exegetical, not whether signs and miracles happen, but whether we love one another. He says, that's the mark. Whether we'll die to ourselves and live incarnationally for 
one another. You say, well, this, you know, this kind of tells this an emphasis on what we should do, and this feels like legalism. You know, we should we should reach out to the community around us. We need to do more evangelism, more outreach. That's not the point. The point isn't here to have a checklist that we somehow score ourselves on. But in discipleship, it's always grace saturated, but it's obedience driven. Why? Because Jesus said that's the way you'll be blessed. If, if you are actually doing these things, you'll experience the blessing that I have had bringing this message to you and, and sacrificing myself from the Father. So it's both. It's a balance here. So yes, it is positionally focusing on who God is and his glory and his attributes, and, but it's also here, our message of discipleship is also obedience-driven. It's always going to come to application. It's how have we lived this out? We call this uh, the three-thirds, look back, look forward, look up, right? I look back, how did I do this last week from what God taught me last week? I look up, God, what's your message for me this week? And then look forward, how can I live this out this week? So this is the way that we can exhort one another to love and good deeds. But so it, it, there is a, a, a degree to which we call each other to this. We have exhortation with one another, right? Um, and so that's why... Uh, you know, even in preaching this morning, there is a, a, a prophetic element of provocation in it. Truly I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master, nor is the message greater than the one who was sent. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Why should we go out of our way to sweat more here as a church? It makes us uncomfortable. We have to get out of the lazy boy to do it. We're comfortable. Crossways come. We're comfortable with each other. We love each other. And we you know now that we moved in here, it's a lot easier to do church. Why would we take extra effort? Because the servant's not greater than his master, right? You'll be blessed if you do these things. You'll have you see it's the blessing that Christ had coming down and putting himself in our clothes, walking in our shoes. We will experience that same blessing as we continue to live out this identity and this, this uh, mandate that he's given us. Serving others is an overflow of Jesus' love for me. Blesses me. It blesses us. God has a blessing he wants for Crossway here in 2024. He says, I'm not speaking of all of you. He says, I know whom I've chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who has ate the bread has lifted his heel against me, and I'm telling you, this now, but it also take place that when it does taste, you won't, you'll believe in me. Truly I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who has sent me. You know, Jesus said, you know, you clothed, when I was thirsty, you clothed me. You gave me drink. When I was hungry, you gave me food. And when I was naked, you clothed me. He said, when do we do these things? He said, when you've done it under the least of these, you've done it unto me. Incarnational ministry is a way for us not just to love each other, not just to love the other, but to love God. He says, when we love the other, we have loved him. And he says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit. Moving towards broken people, you should have a troubled heart because you will be hurt. He knew that he would be hurt and betrayed. Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he had spoke. One of his disciples whom Jesus loved, that's the Apostle John, he's calling himself the disciple who Jesus loved, who was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. That's how close he was, but he felt connected to Jesus. God's love had totally changed his posture. 
So Simon Peter motioned to him, hey, John, John, ask Jesus, ask Jesus. Who is he speaking? He said. And so the disciples leaning back and Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And of course, he gave that to, to Simon and Simon left. And when Jesus said, whatever you do, do quickly. Here's the point, guys. The love of Jesus means I have to choose to make myself vulnerable even when people I know will ultimately hurt me. You know, Donna and I were really hurt by a church. Really hurt. Traumatized. It was trauma. Uh, and uh, it, it, we had to take time away to really process it and recover. And uh, I wasn't ready to be a get back in the pastoral. I just wasn't prepared. I just, I just because of what had happened to us, and it took about five years for God to really get us back into the place where I could take the risk again as a pastor. But I do that knowing that I am going to be hurt. I mean, C.S. Lewis says, if you, if you don't want to be hurt, don't love, right? The only way to not be hurt is to not risk love. So we, gotta, we have to do that with one another. Why do we do that? Well, because God's love makes me secure. Jesus knew that the love of his Father made him secure so that he could put himself out there. Yes, we'll be rejected by our neighbors. My neighbors, if, you know, if, if I go and have a, initiate a spiritual conversation with them, they may take it the wrong way. They may misperceive me. I may be judged. I may be shunned. It could happen. Um, even as a pastor, you know, when I bring the word of God, my, my role here is to make you feel uncomfortable. And I'm a people pleaser. <laughs> it doesn't work for me in my flesh. <laughs> um, and so that, but God uses that to, to keep chiseling away at me because um, I don't need to make that an idol. But um, Jesus glorified the Father by incarnationally loving broken people. And we, we talked about his, his uh, glory from the last chapter, but he says it here. He says, now the Son is, a man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If you if God is glorified in him, he will also glorify him and glorify him at once. And, uh, of course, he's speaking about the glory that's going to come at the cross, but it's also the glory as he's revealing the Father's heart here of incarnational love, of unconditional love, of him loving us. So, you know, Jesus had gotten the disciples' attention by, by breaking spiritual, religious, as well as cultural norms by washing their feet but also by telling them he's going to eat their, you know, that they had to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And, they, you know, he sat them down on this table and, you know, and they had to be asking, what was Jesus thinking? And we have to ask that same question. What was he thinking? What was he trying to get across? What was he trying to get across to them? What was he trying to get across to us here in 2024 as Crossway? And he says that you as a new community, this new people that are around this table, you will form a new community. There's one thing that will define you. One thing, one secret power of this new people, one main idea, what is it? What is this new one thing? A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. How is it a new commandment? It's, well, it's not new because in the sense of to love one another, I mean, uh, in the Old Testament, 
uh, they had been commanded in Leviticus 19 to love your neighbor as yourself. It's not a new commandment even for Jesus to talk about loving one another because he talked about the great commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. He'd already talked about that. But it's a new commandment because it shows the depth of what that love is, the model of that love. The model of that love was God dying for us. And he calls us, if we're going to allow that love to flow through us, to die through ourselves as well. Church is not about my preferences. And it's not about me being met, but it's about meeting other people's needs. Um, it's very easy for us to gather together as Christians with the same consumer mentality that we had at Walmart, right? Or the week when Don and I went out to dinner with neighbors on Saturday night. We look at the menu, we order it. I want my meal to be hot. I want it to be prompt. I want it to taste good. I don't want it to have too much salt. I don't want it to be too spicy. I want it to be the way that I like it. It's not about our preferences here. It wasn't about Jesus' preferences. He's saying, I laid aside the preferences of the Godhead to come here. And we have to do the same thing as church. What does it mean for us to live missionally? We as a church have to even get outside our comfort zone. That's what Jesus is saying. This idea that as I have loved you, you are to love one another. To love one another. This is this radical idea that Jesus has given us. And he says that you can tell if you're a part of this new community, by how you do community, by if you love in this way, if you have this kind of intentional love. Because he says, this is the synchronon, that without which it doesn't exist. Without love, the church does not exist. This is the new commandment, the one another. This is a communal commandment. This is a commandment that he gives. You can't fulfill this commandment by yourself. You can't. We have to do this together. This is a corporate mentality that we have to have. And Jesus had modeled this for them for two and a half years. And now he shows it to them in the most vivid and glaring way. A new commandment I give to you that you love. You love. He's saying loving one another is the mark of a community, a mark, community of disciples. It's the mark of a disciple. You know, all churches in America think they're friendly. They do. <laughs> now, not everybody goes to the church will tell you that they're friendly because they experience it differently. Um, but in the world, when it looks at our churches, it doesn't say, oh, that reminds me of Jesus. It doesn't. Um, the world doesn't generally say, oh, I feel their radical love. And Jesus said that is we, but you know, but what we see is when we, when we invite other people into these circles of community, right, we see people that do respond, oh, wow, I've never experienced a love like that. And they move towards it. And we've seen that here at Crossway by the love that we have for one another. This is a new commandment. That means it has intentionality. It's not by default. It just doesn't happen, right? And this is what it says in First uh, uh, John 4, 7, Brother, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If anyone does not love, he does not know God, because God is love. This is this discipleship paradigm shift. 
If I'm saying I'm a disciple, it means I have a lifelong commitment to live intentionally pursuing other people. And that's why it's one of our values we talk about. That we're relational. We commit to pursuing one another. Not just, hey, how are you? Not the fine. My, my mom, 95 years old, she was a Baptist pastor. So why she talks about, you can go up to Baptist church, how are you doing? Good, good, good. Just doing good. <laughs> we all smile and say, good, good, good. We're not being real, right? We have to be real with one another. Commit to one another how we're really doing doing life. It's about being a community for others, to be real, to make it safe, to bring grace, right? Because discipleship is this chain reaction. If you want to move people, you have to love people. You have to pursue them. And if you want them to pursue Christ, you have to pursue them. And so Crossway is a discipleship movement. It's about moving people in their discipleship journey, helping them take their next step towards Christ helping them and then turn around once their life has changed to in turn move others. Here's the question. Are we willing to go out of our way to do that? To our neighbors here, are we willing to get uncomfortable, to get messy, to sweat, to be inconvenienced, to be uncomfortable? Because we as a church, we can just keep on, on, on you know, cruise control. We don't have much set up here. You know, pretty much everybody knows what to cover. We could just keep doing the same old, same old that we've always done. We love each other. We got some amazing body here that we're all blessed by each other. And we could just, you know, we could just make this a nice little Christian huddle. Or we can invite other people into this circle and experience the blessing that Jesus talks about. See, love connects. Love cares. It stops. It asks. It listens. It prays. It gives. It blesses. It serves. Love dies. Love means dying to self so that other people can live. Tammy, uh, was, her and Bill visited their daughter in, uh, uh, in Columbia, and she sent me this text. She went to church with them, Seacoast. It's a, it's a, it's a, I've met the pastor. I've been to Seacoast before. It's an amazing church. She said, Dave, look at this. Look at, look at what their church looks like. She said, wow, what if, could we have tables like this? Could we do some tables like this? Why do we do that here? Well, it's because... Why did they do that at Seacoast? It's because the one public space in our culture where people feel comfortable, strangers feel comfortable being in the same room together is a coffee shop, right? Coffee to some of y'all is just a caffeine mechanism, but for my sons, it's, it's a way to connect relationally. When Jonathan comes home, he gets his French press and he does it a certain way, and I don't drink coffee on a daily basis, but when Jonathan makes coffee, I, I say, Dad, you want a cup? Yes. Why? Because I know for him it's, it connects. And so we need to create a space here, a loving space, a hospitable space to be intentional about this. But we're going to have to think about this. And we're gonna, just like Jesus had to be intentional about making sure he had a bowl, making sure he had water, making sure he had a clean towel, right? So that he could create a space for his disciples and invite them into it so that they could experience grace at a deeper level. And that's what we need to do here. And we're going to talk about that more uh, after the service in our update conversation. But um, this is what we want people to feel. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Right? But when they walk in the door and this is what they see, it doesn't feel like we were expecting anybody. Now, this was, these marks here were actually made because they had a food pantry. These are love scars. It's not because people, it's people, because people are trying to love people is actually why these, these things happen on the floor. But, you know, the, 
if we allow the house of God to look like this, it doesn't really look like we were preparing for people to come. Donna said, Dave, have you been in the women's bathroom? I said, no. <laughs> I hadn't been in the women's bathroom. I went in. In Mooresville, we lived in the same house for 15 years, and it showed its age because we raised our boys in it. When we came here, we were to sell it, and, you know, and you know, we had linoleum on the floor, oak cabinets with brass knobs. Our neighbor said, our realtor told us brass is out. Nobody likes oak anymore. Definitely not linoleum. So I spent a lot of time. I, I, I tiled all the floors. I tiled the kitchen. We painted the kitchen cabinets. We changed the knobs to platinum. And then I looked outside, and I, you know, parts of the of, the, of my uh, uh, trim, you know, were not in good shape. It hadn't been painted. I had to get out the ladder. 40 degree weather. I'm up there painting the eaves. Why? So that when they walk in, they have a good impression. One of the quickest things that we did was change the, the bathroom fixtures. For 50 bucks, it loads one screw and, and, and two of those toggles, and you got a new fixture. It looks totally different. Wallpaper's out. How does a woman, when she walks in here and the wallpaper's coming off the wall, how does that feel? Does that feel clean? Does that feel fresh? Does that feel inviting? Does that feel like a place you want to go back? It's not about being superficial and just appearances. It's about hospitality, making people feel at home by loving one another. Jesus created, he invited people into the hospitality of the Trinity. And he says, you've got such a radical message to be intentional, to reach out. It is not just about here. It's about us creating hospital spaces in our neighborhoods, in our, in our living rooms, to invite our neighbors in there to, to, so that they could begin to take steps towards this circle and towards God. so that they could experience this message of believe and live. Believe and live. We believed. We need to live differently. And part of that's, you know, living out a radical way that's totally different than our culture. It's different than American church culture. If we just go with American church culture, American church culture is dying. If you want to see the statistics, more churches are closing than are opening. It's a fact. If we're going to live just the way American churches normally live... We're not going to have the kind of radical impact that Jesus is talking about here. And so he's called us to a different way, a way of looking at our community with the eyes of being a missionary as a mission field, right? Because we do not live in Christian America anymore. Does anybody want to argue with me about that? We live in a pagan country. This is a post-Christian culture. What does that mean? It means we are now missionaries. We are minorities with a minority message. Yeah, when I grew up, when I was born in 1965, post World War II baby boom, you know, America was it was not America was not really Christian, but there was this cultural consensus, this residue of Christianity that was still there, the Judeo-Christian. But it's not there anymore. People are people don't just wake up on Sunday morning and say, "Let's go to church." Let's get a suit coat on. Let's, let's wear a three-piece suit like I grew up going to church in. Let's, let's get in the car. Let's get all the kids together. Let's get them up. No, they're like, oh, I got to sleep in. But we have to have eyes to see this mission field, to reach it just like we would if we were on a mission trip or went to another culture, another continent. We wouldn't expect them to do a church in an American way. We would try to meet them through their language to explain the gospel to them in ways that they could understand culturally. And that's what we have to do here. I have to be a cultural cross-cultural missionary to my own kids. Why? Because they grew up in a different culture than I did. They're in a different generation. And so, you know, 
I didn't, we didn't play soccer when I grew up. Sport didn't exist as far as I knew. My sons love soccer, so I have to learn soccer. Why do I do it? Because I have a passion for soccer? No, because I want to have, I want to be, have conversation with them. I want to care about the things that they care about. It's one of my ways to love them, right? Even though that's not my passion. And so the same things here, we have to create a conversation for our neighbors, opportunities in the Easter we're going to talk about. We're going to create an opportunity for you to have a conversation, make a, a way where you can have a conversation to invite your neighbors into experiencing Jesus in a, in a circle closer to God. So we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. But here's the deal. Jesus finished Simon with a conversation with Simon Peter and Simon Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And he says, well, I'm going, you can't follow. And Peter doesn't understand. He says, he says, Lord, I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? Will you really do that? And this is a question to us. Will we really do that? Truly, I truly, I say to you, the rooster will crow three times and you will deny me three, three times. Following Jesus' example of incarnational love requires us to lay our life down. And the conclusion that we're going to get there is in John chapter 21, when Jesus comes back after resurrection to Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? What does he say? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Love the sheep the way I have loved you. And that's what he's called us to do. You've, Peter, you're, you've now experienced grace. I'm not shaming you. I'm restoring you that just as I've touched and changed your life, you have this radical message now to, to, to love other people in the same way. And that's what he's called us to. We're just turtles on a fence post, but God put us here for a reason. And 2024 is an opportunity. And we need to think about how as a church can we best steward that opportunity. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Um, but I think it comes back to the fundamental thing in this passage. Are we willing to live incarnationally, to live other pe- love other people as Jesus loved them? And so we're going to close with a, a song, and Amy, you can come on up. Um, and we don't normally have a response mechanism here. I understand that. But um, I want you, as you know, like when we do uh, communion and we reflect and say, okay, God, how are you preparing my heart? Jesus has said, as I did, so do for one another. God calls you to wash each other's feet, to wash the feet of your neighbors. And so as we worship in this last song, as the Holy Spirit leads you, if you feel moved to say yes to that invitation of Jesus, here are towels that I encourage you to take home because it says that Jesus had a towel. He prepared, he came to the table with a towel. And this is just a symbol for you taking this home that we're going to incarnationally try to live this out with intentionality. So as we worship, you can come and take one for yourself. I encourage you to do, as spouses, as, even as Donna and I, and I, do that for one another. Set aside a night and do that this week. But more than that, spend some time thinking and praying and meditating on what does this mean for our relationship to the, to the other, to one another here and to the other out there. Let's worship God. And let's ask the Holy Spirit what he would move us to do. Thanks for joining us today and listening to this message from Crossway Community Church. Once again, we meet at 1045 on Sunday mornings at 1501 Woodbury Road, which is just off Colonial and 408 in East Orlando. Come check us out. 
I'll see you then.